Amen. Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20 will be our text this Lord's Day as we continue uh, to walk through the Ten Commandments and walk through the book of Exodus together. Uh, as you turn there, I'd like to say uh, Happy Father's Day to all our fathers this morning. Uh, we're so thankful that you've joined us in worship, and as you leave today, uh, we have a little Father's Day pin for you, uh, so make sure you pick one of those up at the end of our service today. Uh, but as we gather this morning, we're going to be looking at the third commandment. Uh, if you've been with us in recent weeks, we've covered uh, the first two commandments. The first commandment, that we should have uh, no other God before our one true God. And then the second commandment, that we should not use icons or images or idols in our worship. And so uh, last week we talked about how those two commandments go together, that uh, we need to worship the right God, and we need to worship the right God the right way. And so today we'll continue as we come to verse 7 in Exodus 20 in looking at the third commandment about taking the Lord's name in vain. So to put the context there, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 and out of reverence for God's word, if you're able, if you would stand this morning as I read this text for us. <clears throat> Again, God's people are gathered here at Mount Sinai. He is telling them how they are to live, and this is what the text tells us. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will hold, not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. If you pray with me. Father, I pray as we look to this text this day uh, that you'd help us to better understand what it means, what it teaches us about you, or what it teaches us about our own hearts, what it teaches us about Jesus and how Jesus fulfills this commandment. As we pray, Lord, this Father's Day, I do lift up to you those who for them today is more of a day of mourning and grieving than a day of rejoicing for those who have lost their fathers lost husbands, those fathers who's lost children, even those who long to be parents, but Lord, are not right now. We pray for them that you would show them your grace in a special way this Lord's Day as we worship and as we study your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This is Father's Day, and I can remember looking back some 18 years ago, uh, when Sandy and I were preparing uh, for parenthood, when I was preparing for fatherhood uh, with our first child, uh, Parker, uh, there were lots of uh, decisions to be made. And so I can remember thinking back how Sandy and I would go to the store and we'd look at uh, cribs and we'd look at strollers and thinking about paint colors and different things for the nursery. Uh, but I'm not sure anything quite prepared me uh, for the number of options we'd have on baby names. I remember Sandy bringing home a book, I think it was several books, uh, of baby names 
Uh, one of them, the title actually said, uh, 15,000 names in this book. And as I looked at that book, I thought, uh, Lord, you're going to need to help us not have all children whose names start with the letter A, because I'm not sure I can make it through uh, all the names in this book. Uh, if Just a side note, if you're looking to publish a book of baby names and you'd like dads to buy that book, uh, come up with a book of 12 baby names. And you'd probably have a lot of dads buying that one because 15,000 is a few too many options. But, but I remember looking back on those days, uh, we actually picked our children's names uh, from the names of relatives and family members for the most part. And so Richard Parker Carwile, those are all family names. Our, daughter, our girls all have family names. Um, that may be how you were named. You may have been named from a book of thousands of names. You may have been named uh, after a relative or those who've gone before you. You may be named after someone who is famous or someone who had a significance in the life of your parents. But one commonality we all share is that someone else named us. We don't come into this world naming ourselves. Maybe down the road you will change your name. Maybe you will take on a different name. But the name that you were given when you were born was given to you by someone else. And that is something that sets us apart from God. Because as we've already seen in our study of the book of Exodus, God is the only one who names himself. Everyone else is given a name by someone. But we see the authority we see the supremacy of God in that He is the God who names Himself. And therefore, His name is very different than our name. His name is very different than any name you will find in a baby name book. His name is very different than any name any of us bears today. In fact, as we see in the book of Exodus, and this is the first point in your outline, that God's name is above all other names. And so we're reminded in this third commandment of the sacredness and the supremacy of the name of God. That, that name Yahweh, Jehovah. That name that's given there at the burning bush. You may remember in our study of Exodus, we came to that point in Exodus 3 where Moses is there at the burning bush and God is speaking through the bush to Moses from the fire. And Moses asks God, and when I go to the people, when I tell them all these things, who should I tell them sent me? Who should I tell them you are? What is your name? And God tells Moses, I am who I am. I am the Lord. And he gives Moses that special covenant name, that name that would be used throughout the Old Testament some 5,000 times, that name that Moses would use in Exodus 15 when he says in the song that he writes, the Lord is his name. That word in the Hebrew consists of four Hebrew letters. We transliterate those Y-H-W-H. We pronounce that Yahweh or Jehovah. We really don't know the right pronunciation because it's been lost through the ages because to the Jewish people they were so scared that they might mispronounce the name of God. They saw it as such a sacred name that they would not speak it. And so we don't know how it was originally pronounced. We pronounce it today, Yahweh or Jehovah. But it was the covenant name that God gave to himself. And you'll notice in God using this name in the third commandment, he speaks of himself differently than the first two. In the first commandment, he speaks in the first person. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. In the second commandment, he speaks in the first person. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. But now in the third commandment, 
God speaks in the third person. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so what God is doing here is he's calling special attention to his name. And he's telling his people very clearly, don't take this name in vain. And I would imagine for most of us growing up, this third commandment for us meant then, well, don't curse when using the Lord's name. Don't, don't profane the Lord's name in what you say. And that's typically how we see the third commandment. And I think that's very much what the third commandment is saying. But I think there's more to it than that. And I think, though, perhaps for most of us, even those who aren't believers, we understand at least that about the third commandment. We understand that we shouldn't profane God's name in how we talk. I remember years ago, I became a Christian when I was in college, and not long after that, I was spending some time with a friend. I was trying to talk to him about the Lord. He wasn't a believer. And in the course of that conversation, I don't remember what happened, but at some point, he swore and he took the Lord's name in vain. And as soon as he did, he turned to me and he said, pardon me. He knew that I was a Christian. He assumed that I would take an offense at what he had said when he said the Lord's name. And I did take offense at it, but I remember looking at him and saying, I can't pardon you. (laughs) But the name you just cursed, that's the one who can pardon you. And I went on to share with him about the gospel, but, but he knew, even in saying that, there was something wrong with what he had said. We are not to take the Lord's name in vain, but it means more than we're not to curse the Lord's name. And we learn that meaning as we dig deeper into the text. For example, in verse 7 here, he says, you shall not take. Now, that word in the Hebrew means to, to lift up or to carry it's something that we are in a sense taking along with us and what is it the lord says he says you shall not take you should not lift up or carry along with you the lord's name in vain that word vain in the hebrew means emptiness or nothingness or worthlessness and so what god is saying in essence in the third commandment is you shall not carry my name along in a way that makes my name worthless You should not use my name in a way that communicates to other emptiness or voidness that misrepresents my name, that presents me as something I am not, that presents me in a worthless way, that presents me as vain. And so what we see here is that it wasn't just in speech that the Hebrews needed to be concerned. It was in action as well. And that's why God often, in reference to his name, he associates not just words and what we say, he associates actions and people. In fact, his people are his people who are what? They are called by his name. They bear his name. Second Chronicles 5, 7, if my people who are called by my name. He says that his people are associated with him and so it's not just their speech they need to be concerned about it is their actions they need to be concerned about and it wasn't just the hebrews who needed to have this concern it is us as well because as we come to the third commandment and ask the question what does this say about us we find this point point two there in your outline that if we claim to be god's people but we live as if we are not We take His name in vain. 
So we, we, we take God's name in vain. We can certainly do that through profanity and through our speech. Leviticus 19 warns against this. You shall not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God for I am the Lord. God says you don't lie in my name because that tells the world I'm a liar. And so we need to be careful about what we say but we equally need to be careful about what we do. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, God also warns his people about making sacrifices to false gods. And in doing that, he says this, when you make a sacrifice to a false god, you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so he says to his people, it's not just your speech you need to be worried about, it's your actions as well. Your friends, God has always called his people to be a people who represent Him. To be His ambassadors. To, to be people that identify with Him and that others identify those people with God because of what they say and what they do. And when we bear the name of God, when we bear the name that we are His people, and we don't live that way, then we are taking His name in vain. You may think of it this way. Imagine you were to go to a football game this fall. Let's say this is, let's stir things up, this is Kentucky and Louisville playing against each other. And you go to that game, and I've been to some of those games, and I've, I've, uh, I know that Chad Sweeney's sitting back there in the back. Chad's quite a Louisville fan. And so let's say you were to go to that game with Chad Sweeney and Chad shows up and he's got his Louisville jersey on, his Louisville hat on, and you sit down and the kickoff happens. And right at that kickoff, man, the Louisville player just gets, he gets knocked out. And Chad said, yeah, good hit, good hit. You might think, well, that's kind of odd. He's cheering for the other team. And, and then as the game goes on, every time something happens to Louisville bad, he starts cheering. Every time Kentucky scores, he starts cheering. And you might, well, some of y'all might think, well, he's seen the light, he's been converted. But others, that might be a little unusual. Because he's, he's sporting the attire of one team, but he's rooting for another team. But imagine it a step further. What if the players on the field who had on the Kentucky uniforms started playing like they were on the Louisville team? Or the Louisville players started playing like they were on the Kentucky team. Well, that would be quite confusing, wouldn't it? You might want to stand up and say, hey, remember what jersey you have on. You might want to say to that fan rooting for the team opposite of what he's wearing, hey, remember, remember what you're wearing today? And yet, friends, that's exactly what we do as Christians all the time. We get up in the morning and we put on our Christ jersey. We bear the name of Christ as Christians, and yet so often we go out into the world and we live completely contrary to the name that's on our jersey. In fact, I remember very specifically something close to this happening. A friend of mine who's a pastor, uh, he had gone to a home improvement store, and he was, this was in North Carolina, he was buying some mulch, and so he went into the store. He, he bought, you know, ten bags of mulch or whatever it was he needed, and they said, well, here's your receipt, go outside somebody loaded up for you and so as this young man was loading up the mulch for him he made a comment about yeah i'm not sure if this is going to be enough or not and that young man just kind of looked up at him and said well, you know what i can you give me a few extra bucks i can put 20 bags on here as he looked down at that young man he noticed that he had a t-shirt on advertising the church he went to 
And he asked him, he said, young man, did you forget what shirt you have on? Do you forget who you're representing today? See, that's what we often do, isn't it? We bear the name of Christ as Christians, yet we live completely contrary to that so often. I was watching Jeopardy the other day, and on Jeopardy, the, the answer popped up on the screen. Antioch was the city where the disciples were first called this name. And the person got it wrong. They said apostles. The, the answer is Christians. But we read there in the book of Acts, it was in Antioch that they were first called Christians. Now, do you know why they were called Christians? I'll tell you, it wasn't because the disciples got together with a think tank and decided to rebrand themselves. It wasn't because they sat down one day and said, you know, we, we really need to come up with a name for who we are. Who's got a good idea? You know, it's getting confusing when they say we're the way. They don't know what that means. We, we need to get a better name. No, the reason they were called Christians is because that's what everybody else started calling them. Because they so identified them with Jesus Christ. And what they said and what they did, it was so identified with Christ that the world around them was looking at them going, well, those, they're Christians. You look around the church today, and it seems quite opposite. We walk around and we say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I go by the name Christian, but what do we often hear? Oh, I, I don't think I can go to that church, it's full of hypocrites. We live completely contrary to the name that we bear so often. And so we need to consider when we come to the third commandment, this isn't just about be careful what you say and be careful not to take the Lord's name in vain and profane it in what you say. Friends, the concern for us today in the third commandment needs to be consider what you're doing. Consider how you're living. And does the life you're living, is it consistent with the jersey you're wearing? And if you this morning carry the name Christian, if you this morning identify yourself with Christ, then that's the jersey you have on. Is your life consistent with that? And if it's not, then this is a great opportunity to change that. You see, there's been a struggle, not just in the modern church, there's been a struggle throughout the history of the church with people who said, okay, yeah, I believe this message, I believe in Christ, but who've really struggled to live that way. In fact, that's what most of the New Testament addresses outside of the Gospels, are letters written to churches and people, groups of people, who are struggling with the Christian life. That's why you have, for example, things like 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul was very much writing to a group of people who are struggling to live the Christian life. He said, but I, brothers, so he's speaking to brothers in the faith, sisters in the faith, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is Excuse me, jealousy and strife among you? Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So Paul looks to the church and says, Listen, you are Christians, but you're not living like Christians. In fact, I can't give you solid food because you haven't matured. I have to still give you milk. So imagine it this way. 18 years ago, 
or a little bit after that, I guess, you know, a little over 18 years, less than 18 years ago, you might have spotted Sandy and I out at a Cracker Barrel with a much smaller version of our son. It would not have been unusual for me to take a bottle out and to put that bottle in his mouth at Cracker Barrel. But if you spot me today with my 18-year-old son at Cracker Barrel putting a bottle in his mouth, that's a little odd. That's a little different. That's not what you expect, is it? And why is it that I will not put a bottle in my 18-year-old's mouth at Cracker Barrel today? Why is it that he would probably order the biggest thing on the menu? It's because he has matured. It's because he can eat solid food. But friends, as Christians, so many of us are sitting around Cracker Barrel with a bottle of milk in our mouth. We're not maturing. We're not growing. We're not ready for solid food. And so what Paul says here to the Corinthians isn't, well, let's just keep doing that. No, he says to them, you need to grow. You need to grow. So how do we do that? Well, the Scripture tells us that. In fact, we see a great example of that in Revelation chapter 3. That Jesus is giving His Word to all these different churches. You may remember His Word to the church at Sardis. Now, this was a church who had done some really good things, but Jesus warns them because He says, listen, on the inside, you're dying. You've forgotten some things that you need to remember. And so He specifically says to them this in Revelation 3. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. This morning, if you're a Christian and you're wearing the jersey of Christ, but your life doesn't reflect that, you need to remember something. The first thing you need to remember is the gospel. You need to remember the gospel. You need to remember what the Scripture says, Romans 3.23, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, that nobody in this room starts out ahead of anybody else. We are all born sinners. You might think, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. It may be externally you're not, but in your heart you are. The Scripture says there's none righteous, not even one of us. Scripture goes on in Romans 6.23 to say the wages of that sin is death. Just like Adam and Eve had to be removed from the presence of God in the garden, we too are separated from God because of our sin, and we rightfully deserve God's wrath on us because of our sin. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And friends, that's great news. He didn't wait for us to call out to him. He didn't wait for us to cry out. He didn't wait for us to beg. He didn't wait for us to try to clean our lives up. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then the scripture says we, we have to respond to that. We need to remember. Remember, have, have you done that? Romans 10, 9 and 10, if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we see in the third commandment, God saying, don't take my name in vain. We see in the gospel, Jesus is saying, here's how the name can actually save you. You profane it, it condemns you. You cry out to it, it will save you. Everyone who calls out in the name of the Lord will be saved. 
It is a good exercise in the Christian life for you just to sit down and think about your salvation. The day you heard the gospel. The day you responded to the gospel. We should be a people who preach the gospel to one another often because we need to remember it. And if we find then in remembering it that our life is not consistent with it, the scripture tells us what to do there as well. 1 John chapter 1. This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So we can't put on the jersey of Christ and then live completely contrary to that. Or the scripture says we are indeed a liar. But, but, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So how do we do that? Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So friends, today, if you look at your life and you see that your lifestyle is not consistent with your jersey... (laughs) then remember the gospel. Repent of sin. And and confess to Christ who promises to cleanse and to restore you and me. Which brings us ultimately to this third point, point three. What does Jesus call us to do now with this? How does he he fulfill this third commandment? Well, point three there. Jesus then calls us to proclaim his name to our neighbors and to the nations. So we are called to to not profane the name of God in our speech and our action, we have to realize that, that our flesh, our tendency is to profane that name because our tendency, our flesh response is to walk in ways contrary to God's word. And so we have to repent of that, restore that fellowship, and then we see that this, this name that we once cursed, we've now been called to go out and proclaim. And that God chooses us to do that, that should, we should all marvel at that. I don't, I don't want to discourage anybody here today, but y'all are a bunch of messed up people. And I'm using y'all in a southern y'all, meaning I'm included in y'all. You know, we all, y'all. We are all messed up people. If I was the God of the universe who created all things and I was looking down at seven billion people and I had to pick one of them to be my ambassador, the one who's going to proclaim my name, I I can tell you right now who I wouldn't pick. It's the guy I see in the mirror every morning. But God's grace, God's goodness is that not only does he save us when we don't deserve it, but then he actually calls us to go proclaim his name. And that's not because we're perfect and, all, and have it all figured out. So we don't go to the world with this message of, well, look at me, I'm a Christian, I got it all figured out, and you need to become a Christian too, so you can get it all figured out. No, we go to the world and say, look how messed up I am. Well, there's nothing perfect here. But I've come to understand the message of the gospel, which is their one The one who was perfect, he died in my place for my sin, and I've repented and placed my faith in him. And he calls every single one of us to repentance and faith. 
And in him, one day, I will stand before God glorified and perfected, not because of anything I've done, but completely because of what he's done. Not because of my name, but because of his name. Which the scripture says is the name above all names. Philippians 2 Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, friends, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, we will all bow our knee. In the name of Jesus. But for some of us, we will be bowing in judgment. Because there are some of us who have heard the gospel proclaimed and we refuse this side of eternity to bow our knee. And so we will stand before God, not covered by the name of Jesus. We will stand before God on my own name. Now you might have pride in your name here and now. You might take pride in who you are and what your name represents. But I'll tell you something your name doesn't represent. Your name doesn't represent perfect atonement for sin on the cross. That belongs to one name and one name only and that is the name of Jesus. So you're not going to stand before God. I'm not going to stand before God and say, oh, hey, I'm here, but hey, listen, I'm a car while, you know? Dad can tell you that name probably wouldn't mean much before God in heaven. But you know, none of your names would either. doesn't matter what your name is here. It matters whose name is on you. And if the name of Jesus Christ is on you, then you stand before God covered in the blood of Christ. That's why when we go proclaim the gospel, we don't go proclaim the name of our church or our denomination or our pastor. We go proclaim the name of Jesus. That's why when we baptize people, we don't baptize them into Southern Baptist Convention or into Bloomfield Baptist Church. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that they now bear the name of Christ. Because, friend, that is the only name that matters at the end of the day the question is is that the name that is on you this morning and if it is glory be to god go live according to it but if it's not friend what are you waiting for the day is going to come the scripture says when every knee will bow at the name of jesus what is keeping you from bowing your knee today? Several years back, I read a, a story that kind of brought some of this home for me. About an event that took place back in 1947. It was at the, the wedding of Princess Elizabeth and the Duke of Edinburgh. There people had come from all over the world to come to this wedding, and there was one young prince there, King excuse me, one young king there, King Faisal. King Faisal was 12 years old. But as a king of his nation, he was invited to this wedding. And so most of the people were very excited about the pomp and circumstance and all those things. As you can imagine, 12-year-old, not so excited. But 
But something that did excite him was the horses. He had heard stories about these prancing horses and the way they galloped in formation. And so as this parade came, he kind of slipped away from his security detail and he, he, he put on a cloak to kind of disguise himself. And he, he snuck towards the front just trying to get a peek of these prancing horses as they came by. But as they got closer, the, the, the security that were there, they saw this young man, they assumed to be a peasant, and they took him, and rather harshly, they just cast him to the side. Told him he had no business there. Well, later, all things were disclosed, and they found out that this young boy that they had cast to the side was no, pre no, was no peasant, but he was a king. And so the next day, the major London newspapers had this headline. We're sorry, King Faisal. We didn't know who you were. Friends, one day, one day you and I will stand before the God of the universe. One day, the Scripture says, we will come before King Jesus and not one person in this room at that day can say, I'm sorry, King Jesus, I did not know who you were. You have heard the gospel proclaimed. You have heard the call from Scripture to respond to it. And if you have, glory be to God. But if you have not, friend, what will it take? What is it that is keeping you from repentance and from faith? And if it's this idea, this notion that somehow you're going to stand before God and say, well, I, I just didn't know that. No, friend. No, you know. You've heard. The invitation is to respond. And that's an invitation, by the way, for all of us. Not just those who've yet to confess Christ. That's an invitation for every person in this room who looks in the mirror and sees the jersey of Christ and looks at their life and sees there's some inconsistencies here. And it might be a number of things for you. It might be just certain relationships, things you've done, things you've said. It might be major areas you look at and go, I, I know I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be around that. And the invitation for you this morning is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The invitation for us from the third commandment is to remember not to take the Lord's name in vain, not just in what we say, but in what we do. And so as we come into this time of response, I want to encourage you to ask the question before the Lord, Lord, am I taking your name in vain right now? The words I say, the life I lead, am I making your name a worthless, empty name by what I say and what I do? And if so, the call is not for you to then say, well, I'm going to be perfect from now on. <laughs> No, it's for you to trust Christ and walk with Christ and turn from sin and obey Christ. And when you fail, because you will, to confess and repent and walk with Him all the more. And so if you would stand together as I pray for us, as we come into this time of response and during this time, I'll be down front to, to pray with you, to talk with you, to counsel you. There'll be other pastors available as well if you'd like to come talk more about the gospel about church membership if you just need somebody to pray with you this morning i'd invite you to come i'd invite you to pray there where you are 
And again, to consider and ask this question, Lord, am I taking your name in vain in thought, in word, in action, and if you find that you are, to repent. If you would, pray with me. Father God, as we come into this time of response, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see through the power of your Holy Spirit ways that we are taking your name in vain. There may be folks here who, who would never even consider uttering a, a curse, a profanity in your name. And yet, perhaps, Lord, you have some work to do in their life to show them that, that there are some areas, there's some actions, there's some attitudes that need to change that aren't consistent with the cross of Christ. So, Father, I pray that you would call us to repentance and to faith this morning, and I ask for that in Christ's name, the name above every name. Amen.